In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah. And I bear witness that Muhammad is his messenger. We who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad believe in Moses and the Torah. We believe in Jesus and the Gospel. And we believe in Muhammad and the Holy Quran. We believe in all of the scriptures brought by the prophets of God. And we are attempting to carry those scriptures into practice. It is a great honor and privilege for me to be here at Christ Universal Temple. It is a great honor to be in the house built by such a magnificent sister of ours and her followers, the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman. On behalf of the Nation of Islam and its membership, we extend our gratitude to Sister Dr. Reverend Johnny Coleman, members of her staff who have made our stay here most enjoyable, and all of the members of her family and church. Thank you from the depth of our hearts. Those uh, who are watching this by satellite uh, on the East Coast, in Boston, Massachusetts, in Washington, D.C., in Atlanta, Georgia, on the West Coast, uh, in Los Angeles, and those who have satellite dishes all the way around the Earth who are picking up uh, this signal, we are very grateful to Allah to come into your homes and to see all of you who are seeing us. This is a very special day and I want to get right to our work. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad for 44 years taught us that God is not a mystery, he's not a spirit, he's not a spook. God is real. He's a real, live, human being. Differing from you and me only in that he is supreme in knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and power. This is what he taught us. Of course, this upset the Muslim world and it upset many of our Christian brothers and sisters that a black man born in America, born in Georgia, who only went to the fourth grade of school, said that he met with God and God taught him night and day for three and one half years then went away and left him here with a mission to raise the black man and woman of America up from the grave of mental death 
and ignorance. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad was laughed at. He was mocked and scorned and ridiculed. But white people did not laugh at him. They knew better. When war broke out in 1941, by executive order, the President of the United States had the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taken off of the streets because they did not want a black man teaching black men and women the proper use of themselves. For they wanted to use our bodies to prosecute a war that was not in our interest, even as President Bush is using the bodies of black boys and girls to prosecute a war that is not in our best interest. Elijah Muhammad made many ministers and sent them into the cities of America. And he produced the most disciplined, organized, and progressive group of black people ever to be seen in the Western Hemisphere, yet he only had a fourth grade education. He taught Malcolm X who had an eighth grade education. And Malcolm confounded the scholars of the world with an eighth grade education, but taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Muhammad Ali was Cassius Clay, just going to be another great fighter until he met with and was taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Then he burst onto the scene, one of the greatest fighters that ever lived, but he was a different kind of fighter. He was a fighter with a message in his mind, a message in his heart. He was a fighter that stood for a principle. He fought the government of the United States against the war in Vietnam, and he prevailed. Even though he was stripped of his title, nevertheless, he came back to win the championship two or three times more. I think it was twice more. My point is, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had to know something and had to know somebody to say what he said and do what he did and live in America when black men who thought so much less than him lost their lives for just thinking as he was bold enough to speak. Louis Farrakhan now is known pretty much throughout the earth and honored and respected in many circles of our people. But I was just a common musician. I never graduated from college. I only went to the third year in college. But Elijah Muhammad took me from there and taught me. He's not an ordinary man. He's an extraordinary man. How do you know? Wisdom is known of its children. If you are wise, you don't produce a fool. I am the child of my father, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. I know no other father but him. 
My biological father died when I was quite young and even before he died, I never knew him. When I met the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, I met my father. He fathered me into knowledge, into wisdom, into understanding. He brought out of me what the Creator had put in me for the service of my people. So if I am anything of value today, it's because I had a good father, a good example, a good teacher. And so I stand before the world today to challenge the scholarship of the world on the most important of all subjects, who is God? Who is God? We all talk about him, certainly we love him, we bear witness that he is the greatest. We live in his universe, there is nothing to compare with it, so certainly there is nothing to compare with him, but who is he? We want to know our Creator. We want to know God. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad on the back page of our newspaper, then the Muhammad speaks, now the final call, in point number 12. He said, and I quote, We believe that Allah came to us in the person of Master W. Farad Muhammad, the long-awaited Messiah of the Christians and Mahdi of the Muslims. And lastly, we believe that there is no God but Allah and that He will set up a government of peace wherein we all can live in peace and brotherhood. Many of the scholars of Islam have said to me, Brother Farrakhan, why don't you take that off of the back page? Many of my Muslim brothers and sisters who love Allah and love Prophet Muhammad and love the Quran said, this is un-Islamic. Take it away from the page. Allah never has appeared in the form of any man. Allah is not a man, but they can't tell us what he is. I want you to listen to me. I intend to talk to all of you, the scholars of the world of religion, Jews and Christians and Muslims, and whatever your religious persuasion may be, we've got to know today who is God that we may not make a mistake and serve other than him. The Bible teaches us that he made man in his own image and in his own likeness, but he's not a man. That he made man in his own image and in his own likeness, but he's not a man. 
The Bible teaches us of Allah or God that he grieves, he sorrows, he sees, he hears. The wickedness of the wicked stinks in his nostrils. That he loves, that he hates, that he walked with Enoch or Enoch walked with him. The Bible teaches that he met Abraham in the plains of Mamre. Three men came to Abraham and one of them, the Bible says, was the Lord. But he's not a man. Sarah came out of her tent and said, Lord, if I have found favor, pass not away. And Sarah comes out and says, Lord, if you are hungry, I will feed you. But how can you feed a spirit? She said, sit down, Lord, if you are tired. How can you sit down if you have nothing to sit down on? You say, yes, Brother Farrakhan, but that is the Bible. I'm not finished with the Bible yet. The Bible said Moses walked with him and spoke with him face to face as a man speaketh to his friend. Hmm? All throughout the scriptures of the Bible, we're not dealing with some spook or formless spirit. We're dealing with a man. Well, what about the Holy Quran? The Holy Quran is not dealing with a man. No. Huh? But the Quran uses the personal pronoun I. I belongs to who? Talk back to me. The Holy Quran uses the soft pronoun we. Does God have associates? Does he have partners? Why say we? If God himself revealed the book, he knows best the language. Why did he use the language of a human being? These attributes of the Quran are not the attributes of a spirit. He's beneficent. He's merciful. He's powerful. He's the life giver, the sustainer, the securer, the destroyer. Spirits don't do that. Men in whom the spirit dwells do that. Who is God? I shall never take that point from the back page of the paper. to how many scholars don't like it. I visited Mecca and I sat with the scholars and this was the main point that we wrangled over. And when we finished, the scholars shut their mouths. They had never heard an exposition like that. This is true. So I figured that what I gave to them, I should give to you. Since they in Mecca could not defeat the argument. And every argument they gave me, I gave them back their argument with more detail in it. Yet I'm born in America. Never have been taught in any Islamic school by any scholars or scientists. I was taught by the unlearned one. 
the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but he don't make no fools. Take that away. I don't want to get too excited. But this is an exciting subject. Who is God? Who is God? If we look at the way the Honorable Elijah Muhammad wrote that point, it was point number 12 of what the Muslims believe. I asked myself, why did he call it Point number 12, why didn't he make it point number 11, point number 9, point number 10? Why point number 12? Why did he have the word Messiah in quotes and bold? And why did he have the word Mahdi in quote and bold? What is Messiah? Who is Messiah? What is the meaning of Mahdi? And who is Mahdi? Why did he use these two words, put them in quotes? These words are well known to Christians and Jews, and the word Mahdi is well known to Muslims. Why did he use those words? When you put quotation marks around a word, you sometimes do that to draw particular attention to that word. And if you italicize it or make it bold, you want it to stand out because you're trying to suggest something subtly to your reader. Well, sometimes we are not wise enough to pick up on subtleties. But there are those among us who can pick up on subtleties. They would ask the question, why the quotation mark? Why in bold words? He's trying to tell the world something about Messiah, something about Mahdi. The world is looking for the return of Jesus Christ. The Jews are looking for the Messiah. And the Muslim world awaits the appearance of Mahdi. But all of these worlds of religion are not looking for a spirit or a spook. They are all looking for a man. Am I lying? If the Messiah comes, are you looking for a spirit to pop out of a closet somewhere? You're looking for a man. If Jesus Christ returns, who are you looking for? You're not looking for a spirit. You're looking for the return of a man in flesh and in blood. Is that right? And the Muslims who are looking for the Mahdi, you're not looking for a spirit. You're looking for the coming of a man. What kind of man is he? He's an extraordinary man, but he's a man right on, but he's extraordinary. Why should Mahdi and Messiah come in the form of a man? Because man and woman have been degraded. Man and woman are not man and woman today. Man and woman have become beast in human form. Man and woman have degenerated. This is fallen woman and fallen man. You don't know resurrected man. You don't know elevated man. You don't know man made in the likeness of God. You don't know original man. So therefore, you would have to get acquainted with yourself by God sending one to you in your own form, but mighty in power, mighty in wisdom, 
not only carrying light, but is the light. Then you can get an idea of who you are if you could only recognize who he is. Let's go on. I'm going to try and calm myself down a little bit. Where's that Bible that was up here? Oh, yes. Thank you. Don't hide the Bible. Yes, it's a Bible. This book, Bible, in the book of Revelations, it says, when the seventh angel sounds, the mystery of God will be finished. Mystery means that which is unknown. Well, wait just a moment. Do you mean to say that God, who created all of this wonder, is a mystery? That an angel will have to sound, and when that angel speaks, the mystery of God will be finished? Why does the Bible say God will come? Where has he been? Why does the Qur'an speak of the days of Allah? Where has Allah been for all those other days? I thought every day was His. Why would you make a specific and particular reference to the days of God? I think we have to look at this. But before I go any further, I want to say something to the Muslims. Beloved Muslims, in the Quran, in Surah or chapter 3, called the family of Amran, in verse uh, 6, Allah reveals to us the rules of interpretation of his book. Every person who has some degree of love for God and scholarship would want to read the Bible or read the Quran and try to interpret such magnificent books. So God doesn't want you to be one to mislead yourself and mislead the people. So he gives rules for interpretation of his word. Listen to this. He says, He it is who has revealed the book to thee. Speaking of Muhammad the prophet Ibn Abdullah 1400 years ago. Some of its verses are decisive. And some of the verses are allegorical. Then those in whose hearts is perversity Follow the part which is allegorical, seeking to mislead and seeking to give it their own interpretation. Stop. God does not want us to give his word our own interpretation. 
I want you to listen because we who study the Word of God have to restrain ourselves from trying to give His Word our own interpretation. Why? It takes more than just going to theology school to interpret the Word of God. To interpret God's Word, you have to get up into His own mind and you can't get there except by His permission. Everybody all right? If there are musicians in the house, you can't play Beethoven well if you don't study Beethoven. Before you try to play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, it is wise that you study the man who wrote it. When you study the man who wrote it, then you study the condition that he was in when he wrote it. Then when you become one with his mind, one with his spirit, then every nuance in it, you can feel it, then you can make a Beethoven live even though Beethoven is dead. You cannot interpret the wisdom of God unless and until God brings you into oneness with Him. That you begin to know Him in a hint and know Him in a sign. Then you can interpret His Word. But how many of us are like that? Of course, the vain among us will say, I am. And the foolish among us will say, me too. <laughs> but fools rush in where wise men fear to tread. And interpreting the word of God is a fool's paradise. But a wise man will step back from that because it's dangerous to play with God or to play with his word and to deceive and mislead people in the name of God. That's a dangerous thing to do. Now, after Allah gives us rules for interpretation, listen to what he says. And none knows its interpretation save Allah. I'm going to say that again. And none know its interpretation but God. He's the only one who knows the hidden meaning of his own word. So the, the scholars say, those firmly in rooted, rooted in knowledge, they say we believe in it. It is all from our Lord and none mind except men of understanding. When I was in Mecca, the scholars said to me, Brother Farrakhan, this was their closing statement to me. They said, Brother Farrakhan, when you are sick, you go to a doctor. You do not tell the doctor you ask the doctor to tell you what is wrong. And when you are 
not knowledgeable, you come to the scholars and you ask the scholars that they may teach you. I said, and who are the scholars? I said, the doctors don't live any longer than their patients. I can't trust the doctor's advice.